Hey guys, this is Jeff Bogle from uh, just outside Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I am calling to thank you for that Mary Pope Osborne episode. I just finished listening to it last night. As an aspiring children's book author myself, I am in awe of both her just class and wit and grace and humor. The interview is amazing. You guys are an inspiration, and uh, and so is she. And I hope to someday be one tenth the writer and talent um, putting good stuff out in the world and impacting childhood and uh, being an indelible part of, of kids' experience growing up with literacy. So thank you very much for doing what you do and having Mary Pope Osborne on your show. I loved it. See you guys. Have you ever been to Disneyland? Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. Listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show. As I've gotten older, and and I'm a very spiritual person, I've I've sort of come to recognize that there is, say, my highest self, and not my lowest self. But what I would try to say is that there's a, a part that moves towards love and a part that moves toward fear. And Hera is completely governed by love. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. Welcome to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You'll find us on Twitter at the GBB Podcast. Find us on Facebook at the GBB Podcast. And I am Justin, and I am with... Jamie. Jamie. Hi, of I'm course. Here. Of course I'm with Jamie. This week we decided to sub Jamie out for another guy. I would be heartbroken. <laughs> I really would. I don't know if it would survive, quite honestly. <laughs> <laughs> of course it would. Right. No, of course. So um, this week we have a real treat for Star Wars Rebels fans. Um, we are talking to two actors on the show. And before we introduce them, I just wanted to... Something that I think... Uh, that's cool about this is we do talk about rebels obviously, but I really like getting into, you know, the, how they do their work and we talk about how they record the show and just different things like that. So it's pretty neat. So Jamie, I just wanted to say that. I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, I mean, because that's kind of like what we've become to be about, you know, like, well, you know, obviously we're going to talk about rebels and we're going to, we're going to use that as an entry point, but we're not, we don't dwell on minutiae, you know, like we don't right. talk about character, you know, character, specific character developments or plot points or, you know, what about this moment in last mm-hmm. week's episode? Like we don't, that to me is not really that interesting. What's more interesting is about, you know, these like actors or writers or whomever we have mm-hmm. as people, as creatives and right. what they bring to the table, you know, getting, so, a, getting a glimpse of how they approach uh, what they're doing and, you know, just their thoughts about it, that type of thing. And yeah, you, exactly. And if you're exactly. listening, if you if you're a listener to of this show, you know that if you're not, well, if, welcome. You're about to find all. out. You're about to find out. <laughs> you're about to hear our beautiful interview style. <laughs> yeah. So this this episode is is fantastic. We've got Vanessa Marshall who plays Hera Syndulla on um, on Rebels, and she has actually been on before. Um, previous episode we did a uh, like a Rebels roundtable, and mm-hmm. we had uh, a few different actors on, and. Unfortunately, Some, somebody lost the first. Somebody half lost of half of the interview. No, what happened like, is I didn't hit record in time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had li- if you've listened to that episode, you heard maybe like four minutes of our interview with uh, with Vanessa, and it was a great four minutes. But it was we lost basically mm-hmm. half of what we had said. They were short interviews to begin with right. because it was just a day of press interviews. Um, so we are just thrilled to have her back on. Um, we've got her for a considerable amount of time now. And, you know, we, we really do, like we said at the top, we, we, we use rebels as an entry point, but really, I mean, you'll, you'll hear, she really goes much deeper into, you know, her life and her, what she's bringing to the character. Um, and not just, these are the words on the page that I'm given to read. And that this is the process we do, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a lot more of, 
respect for the character, respect for the property and how it's developed and what she brings to that and how she helps develop the character and the overall story. We have a special treat too, and this is a double. This is like, like back in the seventies at Drive-In. This is a double feature. It's a double feature. <laughs> I love it. Is it in three D too? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, at- it's a double feature. So stick around after <laughs> Vanessa. Um, we also got a chance to talk to Taylor Gray. Um, Taylor is the voice of Ezra on on Rebels. So um, it, it depends on who you talk to, who you think the main character of Rebels is. I don't think that there really is one main character. I think that because they're they are such a team, that they're all you know mm-hmm. the the crew the crew is a main character unto themselves. So I, I, episodes shine a light on one character or another, but I don't I wouldn't say like Ezra is the main character or Kanan's the main character. Right. Um, but I, I think it's safe to say that Ezra and Hera are two of the most popular characters, especially among fans. Um, and so we, again, we talked to Taylor a bit about the show, a bit about his career, um, a bit about how he gets into character um, and uh, sort of how he came to this place, how he came to Ezra, how he came to Star Wars. Um, and uh, he geeks out a little bit about all some of the Star Wars toys he has at home too. So it's, it's a fun conversation and I uh, hope you guys enjoy. All right, guys, so we're going to play that interview for you right now. Enjoy. Vanessa, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. This is an absolute pleasure. We're so happy you're on the show. Thank Um, you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm glad it all finally worked out. I know. We've been working on this for quite a while, so I'm, I'm kind of breathing a sigh of relief that we finally got all the schedules to match up. Same here. Same here. Um, I guess... I want to start with a few questions, obviously, about Rebels, I think. Um, and I know through your career, you've definitely played some kick-ass characters. I mean, you've, done, you've been Wonder Woman, Black Canary, Black Widow, Gamora. And I'm wondering where Hera ranks for you among all of those characters you've played. Oh, at the top? Re- re- not even a question? Uh, well, look, I'm a huge Marvel fan also, so... You know, uh, those characters are cool. Uh, uh, Wonder Woman, obviously, is an icon. But to be involved in the Star Wars franchise is definitely the... I I mean, I literally lost all ability to function normally when I got the job. I was just (laughs) sobbing. So, yeah. I fainted when I got Mary Jane. and Really? yeah, my knees sort of buckled when I got Wonder Woman, but when I got Hera, I needed medical attention. I, I was just, I lost it completely. Now, yeah, my, to the point where my agent was like, are you okay? Do I need to send someone? <laughs> you know. Now, I know, I mean, we've talked to, um, we talked to a few other people who have been on the show and they all kind of had a similar story about when they went to audition that they didn't know it was Star Wars and they kind of had an idea and and it wasn't until they were really cast that they were given the you know the clear line that yes okay this is a new Star Wars show. So at what point did you realize this is what it was? When I walked into the callback and saw a green Twi'lek picture on the wall. <laughs> That's kind of a good giveaway. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And, of course, Dave Filoni was sitting behind the glass and yeah. Greg Weissman was sitting there. And I know that he had been working on something. I it, it all sort of came together in that moment at perhaps the worst moment because that's the one where you need to do your best. <laughs> and you've just been harpooned <laughs> with these details. But What it confirmed for me, though, is that because I love and care so much about Star Wars, I often transpose the narrative elements onto whatever I happen to be reading in order to get me to care that much and that quickly about a story. I just imagine like, okay, this is Obi-Wan is actually coming to Luke and this is, you know, the call to action and blah, blah, blah. So when I got the script for Rebels, I felt those elements were naturally in the script. So I applied my sort of Star Wars passion to the script anyway and felt that it was right and it worked. And I thought, well, you know what? Even if they don't cast me, whatever they're listening to will make so much sense because it does make sense in the Star Wars universe Mm -hmm. that maybe they'll just respect me for doing a very specific audition that felt very real, but they had no idea what the hell I was putting on it, you know? Yeah. 
So um, it worked out in this instance. Hera, obviously, like you just said, she's a Twi'lek. And over the years um, throughout Star Wars canon, they, the, that race of characters sort of got a reputation as sort of being a slave race. And there were a few exceptions, obviously. But I think it was really refreshing then to see Hera kind of break out of that mold right as the new Star Wars canon was beginning. Like ground floor, you know, forget what you knew, think you know about all these kinds of characters because we're just going to kind of blow your mind with what you're about to see. Mm-hmm. How conscious are you, were you and are you now that you're you're creating this powerful role model for young girls who are watching the show? Um how aware am I? Well, like I mean I, does it does it not does it overwhelm you, but like does it factor into the stories that you're telling and the the, the performance that you're giving and the way that you sort of well present the character? You know, as I've gotten older and, and I'm a very spiritual person, I've, I've sort of come to recognize that there is, say, my highest self and not my lowest self, but what I would try to say is that there's a, a part that moves towards love and a part that moves toward fear. And Hera is completely governed by love mm-hmm. and service. And those are things that I pray to embody in my own life on a daily basis. So I kind of feel like when I'm playing Hera, I am asking those highest elements of my own personality to come out and hope that those resonate with young girls insofar as if my worldview makes any sense at all, hopefully their higher selves will be stimulated and they will step into their power and operate from love and not fear. And so I think about that when I get up every day anyway. And when I'm asking uh, myself questions about Hera, I absolutely know beyond a shadow of a doubt that she will take the highest path for the greatest good. First of all, that's, that's, it's, I think that's beautiful how you bring that to the character. Um, But I think that obviously it's working because she is such a well-developed character Um, and she's such a unique character too. And I think as I, I I love the show, my kids love the show, and as I sit watching the show with my daughter, especially, I can really see her connecting to Hera, and, and Hera is, I think, her favorite character. Um, oh. I, I kind of I kind of am drawn more to Sabine just because I like that type of character, but mm-hmm. I can see my daughter just really looking up to Hera. I mean, she knows that it's just a cartoon, but you, I mean, just like really liking her for the things that she does and the things that she stands for. And I think a lot of that is obviously from what you bring to the character as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I I really enjoy playing her. Sabine is my favorite actually, because I'm a huge Mandalorian fan and I really look forward to learning more about that and her backstory and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, it's an interesting time in the Star Wars saga itself in so far as uh, gender and race kind of don't matter because everyone mm-hmm. is equally oppressed. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of cool that she emerges in this time where what matters about her is that she's a great strategic pilot and fighter and that she has a great nurturing spirit that inspires people. That's what matters, not her yeah. gender or her race. So it's it's a very special time within the Star Wars universe where those distinctions somewhat fall away. Yeah. And everyone is really, in a weird way, it's almost like you're for the light or the dark. And yeah. mm-hmm. um, somewhat like the model I just described where you're either going towards love or mm-hmm. fear, if you will. And not to uh, denigrate any Sith ideology. I don't mean that because, you know, everything has its, its value. But... Um, I think what matters is sort of where you fall on that issue more so than gender. And I think it's really cool how that can unite people, uh, particularly in the episode that we just saw where uh, Hera basically uh, got her father to join the Rebel Alliance. I thought that was a really beautiful thing that that transcended all those distinctions uh, at once. Yeah. I, I, I I think you kind of just hit on why it is that this is such a unique storytelling 
um, a unique way that they're telling the story in the Star Wars universe is because these characters are defined by what they do and what mm-hmm. they bring to the table. They're not defined by who they are in respect with respect to other people. Yeah, I mean, so Hera and Kanan have a relationship. They have a history. It's there. It's but it's it's never a main point of any story. You know, I mean, she's not defined by her relationship with him. And it's never it's never you know, it's never there's we never get like the love story. You know, Mm -hmm. that's not that's not necessary to tell because she's defined by so much more about who she is and what she can do. Absolutely. I agree. Um. Yeah, and so, I mean, I guess I was gonna, I was gonna sort of pick your brain and see, like, do do you hope personally that we ever see get more of that backstory between the two of them, or does it just not matter to the story that's being told? Um, I think it matters. I think all backstory matters. It's it's interesting. I mean, as someone who grew up watching Darth Vader and being afraid of him and thinking that he was just a jerk. You know, and then getting the prequels and getting his backstory more fleshed out uh, to where the Clone Wars literally busted Anakin wide open to where I deeply cared about him, loved him, respected him, um, loved the relationship that he nurtured with his Padawan so that, you know, when he's burning on Mustafar, I am destroyed by that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one could see that. And if you don't, in other words, you know, when I was a kid and I saw Darth Vader, I had no idea that what could be behind that mask is, you know, someone whose mother was, you know, killed and, uh, you know, that he's sort of sorting through abandonment issues and all these sort of really intricate details. And, of course, you've got the force and balancing it. And, and all that other stuff that's going on within the narrative. But I do think it makes a difference to know where people come from because oftentimes some of these evil characters, um, it's not that simple. There's there's a lot more to it. So I really enjoyed uh, the uh, original trilogy all the more after learning more about Anakin. So mm-hmm. I hope we do learn more. I would love to know what Numa's situation is. I was glad that she was back. I was so happy that Kat Tabor was there. Uh, she's an immensely talented actress and she did a great job. And I'm curious what Chom's relationship is with her, if she became a substitute daughter or mm-hmm. um, sort of how they will or won't join the rebellion. Um, I have a million questions. And while I'm happy mm-hmm that they had the reconciliation, like I said, um, I do, I do want to hear a bit more. So hopefully we will. Yeah. So with respect to the future of the show and where the story is going, I know that as actors, you guys generally are only privy to the scripts you've recorded. And because we're a podcast and we have to ask questions like this, does Dave Filoni ever hinted to you or what you know of how far in advance he has stories in his head for the show? No. no. <laughs> nope. Just in case, you know. When I ask questions, I often get, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like, what? because, you know, when, right. when I realized that Darth Vader was going to be uh, in season one, I, what? You know, my brain exploded. Right. And um, I said, well, who's going to voice him? Who's voicing him? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Come on. Who's doing Darth Vader? <laughs> so I think he doesn't want to spoil it for me as a fan either. So right. That's um, nice. I don't is know. That- maybe, maybe Freddie gets more intel. I have no idea. <laughs> That's like mob boss level secrecy. <laughs> <laughs> is that frustrating for you though? Or I mean, or would you rather not know and just find no, out more as a fan? There's something else I can't remember. There was something else recently where he said, well, do you want to know? And I said, no. And, and everyone else said, yes, tell us. I said, don't, shut up, no. Because I am luckily still able to enjoy the show as a fan. Um, and I've said this in other interviews that when I see it animated, it's nothing like I could have ever imagined. I mean, Lucasfilm far exceeds anything I could imagine. And uh, I am so blown away by it. And maybe it's the the music mm-hmm. and the 
nuance of the experience that sort of teleports me back to my childhood and I'm weeping and laughing and all this kind of stuff, you know, that it, it's accessible to me um, as entertainment. And I completely forget that I had anything to do with it in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously I hear my voice, that's weird. <laughs> But mm -hmm. I'm I'm not green and I don't have le coup, so <laughs> you know, it's, it's easy to still watch it as a form of entertainment and storytelling. And um, so to that extent, I don't want to know. Right. I, I don't like spoilers. Do you ever have moments when you're watching it back and you? I know with us when we record podcasts, we kind of forget a little bit. Do you ever see it? And you're like, huh, oh yeah. Did I say that? <laughs> Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, that's why I'm so desperate to see these things when they air, uh, because I have no idea what they ultimately chose. I mean, we'll right. run a scene sometimes four or five times and we've done it so many different ways and I have no clue what is going to end up on television. So, um, it's helpful. And I think like, oh, well, that's an interesting choice. That's, you know, that they mm -hmm. chose that read over a different one or, um, so yeah, I I learn a lot while every all my friends are watching. We all watch at the same time. <laughs> uh, how does the experience of working on a show like Rebels, where you guys all record in the same room at the same time, how does that compare to other shows or video games that you've worked on, where you sort of record in isolation and you just do your own lines and that's it? It's so much better to work as a group. It really is, and I kind of feel like in season two we've really kind of gotten to know one another's rhythms and um, sort of how to anticipate and volley up the next line and so on and so forth. Like it's almost like being in a jazz orchestra and, and we can sort of feel where things need to land. Uh, it's very different from doing a video game. Um, some of the Metal Gear Solid things mm -hmm. that I did, some of them were dubbed over Japanese. So that was totally bizarre sitting there with Quentin Flynn, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, redoing things. I was listening to Japanese in one ear and speaking English over mm -hmm. in another that, but I mean, Quentin was in the room, but we were equally, you know, at a loss as to what the heck was going on. Um, and then normally I'm just by myself and I have no idea how this is all going to make sense to a game player. And then when I go online to look up some of these things, the, there was a Jedi council thing for Knights of the Republic that I did. And we're all sitting in the room, Jennifer Hale's talking and, you know, Mace Windu's there and whoever. I, I mean, it's like, wait, this looks like we were all in the same room. This is insane. Right. How did that happen? <laughs> I know. Seriously. And it, it's it's seamless. And I'm like, well, oh, that must be why they do it because yeah. I have no clue. It works. Yeah. But, I mean, as a, working on a show where you really are, I mean, you guys are a team, you know, and you're yeah. all supposed to interact with one another and play off of one another. Whenever, if ever, Rebels were to end and you were to go on to a different show, could you imagine having to go back and do a show like that where you just go in, do your own lines, don't see anybody else, and then go home? Yeah, it, it does happen. Um, I mean, I'm also in um, Marvel's... Is Guardians uh, like that? How does Guardians Yeah, return? Guardians of the Galaxy, we're all together as well. Oh, okay. Oh, and we're bonkers. I mean, <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy... You <laughs> Oh man, I've never, I mean, I laugh so hard in those sessions. Kevin starts beatboxing and I start breakdancing and it, it's just locking and popping all over the place. And suddenly, you know, the casting woman, uh, the director, Lisa Schaefer is sobbing, like, can we please start, you know, <laughs> it's just these absolute lunatics. And then we start singing the soundtrack to Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, we're bananas. Uh, and then, of course, once it's time to work, we get down to it. But I think that energy fosters the kind of um, improv feel of the lines that yeah. works for the, the chemistry necessary for that particular crew. Yeah. So, um, you know, each group is is different. They're they're like different families in a way. Yeah. I, um, many of the characters that many of your characters that you've done um, they all have voices that are really not that different from your own. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm just wondering, do you have like these dramatically different voices just like inside you waiting for the right role? Or are you just... Well, I don't know about that per se, but I do, as I said, you know, sort of ordering the universe the way I do in terms of getting out of, let's say, 
my highest self's way. If I get out of the way, you know, I can access some of these more noble aspects of my character. Um, for example, when I'm playing Hera, I, I literally think about her coming from her heart, her center in that part of her body, whereas Gamora is much more grounded as a warrior. Mm -hmm. And when I'm doing her, her voice has a bit more of a deeper resonance and her base is much lower, um, you know, sort of in her legs and in her stance. She's, she's organized in a very different way. Um, and she's less cerebral or intellectual and she's more of a cunning fighter, like an MMA mm -hmm. chick or something. Yeah. Um, so I know where I'm organically coming from within my own body um, because it is at a certain point a matter of uh, a sonic difference. But the way their principles are organized, their history, whatever their particular injuries are, also impact their cadence, um, and uh, their choices. So I, I do a lot of homework. I research a lot. Um, I'm a complete nerd. So I will, I will really, really get into someone's backstory and know it like the back of my hand. And um, not everyone does that. I mean, the guy who plays Drax doesn't even look at his script till he walks in. Really? Because for him, it's better that he has no clue what's going on. Yeah. Uh, because his character doesn't. Yeah. I mean, his character is very naive. And um, not naive, but uh, literal. Yeah. Right. Um, and his and he does a perfect delivery. If I did that, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. Um, but anyway, I try to come from their history and sort of where they're centered in their bodies, and that seems to impact the sound. And hopefully, you know, they do sound differently because they're absolutely thinking and feeling mm -hmm. differently. Mm -hmm. So the guy, so. the guy that plays Groot, how much backstory does he get into for his life? <laughs> that's, that's Kevin Michael Richardson. You wouldn't believe the things that that guy can do with I Am Groot. I mean, I'm not even joking. I know people say like, oh, why doesn't he just record it four times and leave? Yeah. But you'd be surprised. Like, we tell him what the line is meant to be. Right. I mean, how do we understand Chopper? <laughs> Chopper's making the same Right. garbage noise all the time and we know exactly what he's saying yeah you know um so kevin is a master at that i'm blown away sometimes by i mean imagine well, <laughs> yeah i, I, I can't <laughs> possible but yeah he does a great job he also covers other roles okay. uh in the cartoon he plays different villains and this and that because obviously it's a different voice right so um but yeah he does a great job um, this might not necessarily be true anymore, but you know how before television became the, the place, you know, that it is now for all this, you know, amazing storytelling, there was always this sharp division between like TV actors and film actors and mm -hmm. film actors kind of look down on TV actors. Does the same thing occur among voice actors in any way? Like, is there a, like sort of an unspoken distinction among actors that sort of primarily work in films or TV or video games? Or is there just so much overlap that none of that matters? Um, I would say at this point, none of it matters. Yeah. I think when I went to NYU graduate school for acting and I got a master's in acting, um, I was in an episode of Law & Order and an episode of Scrubs back here in Los Angeles. And... I was doing stand-up and I wrote all these one-woman shows and uh, really wanted to be a storyteller in that capacity. In other words, an actor serving a narrative in front of a camera. And uh, as far as going to drama school, they taught us to be shamanic and, you know, really Chekhovian and all this kind of nonsense. And when I got to mm -hmm. L.A., they were like, yeah, well, you're kind of fat, so, <laughs> you know. They called us camera meat. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty brutal. And so there's a real business to it that they didn't teach in yeah. drama school. Right. And I started doing uh, voiceover where I was more invisible. And um, I've since lost about 60 pounds. So the weight that they were referring to is no longer an issue. Of course, it fell off once I stopped pursuing on camera. Acting. <laughs> yeah. I once you stopped worrying was, about it. Yeah. Well, I, I think I just accepted myself and out of that self-love came sure. my body sort of naturally right. over time being where it wants to be. And I feel very athletic at this point. Um, and that's been part of my journey. But I always felt ashamed that I had gone and gotten a master's in acting 
And here I am doing um, Culligan water commercials or, (laughs) you know, and uh, my fellow classmates, Billy Crudup, uh, Robin Weigert, uh, John Connolly, um, Kevin Carroll. These are all people who are in, uh, let's see, Billy's been in a million things. You just saw him in Spotlight, uh, but he's almost famous on and on. And Robin was in, um, she was Calamity Jane in Deadwood. Uh, John Connolly is in the new show Billions on Showtime. Uh, Kevin Carroll is in The Leftovers. Uh, these are people, they, they are not kidding. Like they're killing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And by comparison, I always felt like a bit of a loser, you know, (laughs) um, that I hadn't done what we quote unquote had, you know, sort of gotten a master's degree in order to pursue. But at the same time, all of the dialects that I studied in in drama school have really afforded me the ability to say lapse into a French accent in the middle or a, a Ryloth accent that sounds vaguely French. Um, in the middle of last week's episode, I can do stuff like that. I have that ability because of the time that I spent getting that degree. So uh, I think it has come full circle. There are a lot more celebrities that are involved. Um, I know Freddie's very happy in front of a microphone. Um, He really enjoys it. It's very different. Uh, But I don't think there's that sort of lesser than stigma that I found sort of maybe in the 90s, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems now like they're kind of like, wait, you don't have to do hair and makeup. You can show up in your pajamas. (laughs) What? I'll take that. It's funny. That's what a lot of a lot of voice actors, people who work, you know, be, like you're saying behind the mic, they come on and say, it's the greatest job. You can just show up in your sweatpants and then go home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, many of us shower. So, that's- <laughs> um, but for the most part, I feel like voiceover actors, they're very generous of spirit. They're very mm-hmm. supportive. Um, I mean, among peers, I don't feel like there's any sort of greater than or lesser than. Everyone is sincerely grateful to book a, a job and Um, I think because our culture is constantly evolving and stories reflect that in not only commercials, advertising, but also in games or in animated movies and series that it's constantly changing. So we are, are changing and growing as people to match that. And those of us, uh, who work a lot often still take classes Mm -hmm. to stay limber and Mm -hmm. current and available to however, say, America wants to be talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, different crises have come down. I remember when 9-11 happened, uh, the stand-up comic read was out the window. Yeah. You know, and there were a lot more male announcers because for whatever reason, even women who were pulled would rather have a guy tell them what car to buy because they were terrified. And for whatever reason, it felt more soothing to have any type of advertising presented with a male fatherly voice. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, different things occur and, um, we as voice actors get to pay attention to those things together. And it's sort of bristling with excitement in that way. Every day is an adventure for us. So anyway, we're all living within the context of, of those variables and, um, we managed to be very stimulated. So there's no competition in a way. We're all sort of um, volleying one another up. I I actually love Twitter for that reason, because I think it's a great way for people to help one another out and sort of big up each other. You know, I know there are trolls or whatever. There can be haters online, but I really love the generosity of spirit that I've found in the voiceover community on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of respect for my colleagues and um, I think that care is mutual. Yeah. I, just speaking as sort of like an outsider, but just watching a lot of that transpire on someplace like Twitter, I can say that, you know, it is there. Like I, I, I see it, you know, so I can only imagine what it's like all the exchanges that I don't see, you know, so it's, it, and, it, and it's great to see professionals who are not just out, it's not competition, you know, it's, they're not out to just tear each other down. It's, you know, there's, there's mutual support, mutual love and mutual admiration. And then it's, it it really is great to see. Yeah. Well, cool. Yeah. Um, I have to ask Mm -hmm. your mother is incredibly well known. She was on Knott's Landing for almost 15 years. And Mm -hmm. now I know she was the voice of Spider-Woman back in the seventies. 
but she also just had a voice in Fallout 4. So is she yes. follow, is she following in your footsteps now? Oh, uh, well, no, you know, it's so funny. When, before Knott's Landing happened, she was doing um, all sorts of, like, the love boat and uh-huh. Fantasy Island and all these very strange things. I remember her running out of the house to go do these things. I had no <laughs> idea what was going on. Um, but uh, she was the voice of Estee Lauder for years. Huh. And here's the sad part. She would work here in Los Angeles, and for whatever reason, they needed her to fly to New York every week to record. Are you kidding? For Estee Lauder. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> how, how lucky are we now? Many of us have yeah. studios. Oh, man. You know, I do Walgreens commercials. They're in Texas. It doesn't matter because we're on an ISDN line. Yeah. But back then, my mom had to fly there every week to record oh. in New York. Oh, man. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, she was killing it back then in voiceover. And I think she did a cartoon called uh, Santo Beguito, which was a Klauski Chupo cartoon. Okay. Um, and uh, she worked with Charlie Adler, who uh, was one of my first teachers. He was amazing. Uh, Chris Zimmerman was one of uh, my first teachers as well. She was absolutely brilliant. Um, I worked with Chris on. I worked with her on Metal Gear and SOCOM and uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and also the regular show. Um, so it's fun to have taken classes with these people and then uh, actually end up working for them. But anyway, my mom uh, has come back to it, I would say. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to see. Not only it's great to see her still acting, but it's kind of great to see you guys in the same industry. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's sort of bizarre. <laughs> Maybe one day you'll be on the same show together. You never know. <laughs> um, I know we're we're running out of time, and we just have one last question. It's a question that we've, we haven't meant to, but we've sort of ended up asking a lot of our guests right. the same question. So, so now um, it's kind of a staple. You have to... I guess, I guess <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, okay. it, it, it is now. Um, and, and it's a pretty basic question, Is but... Would you recommend your career? Would you recommend voiceover work to an actor just starting out? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say for all the reasons I described, that education process where, you know, you're sort of a perpetual student, I think it can only help you. I mean, in the sense that if you're constantly learning, you're finding your true voice, uh, I would say absolutely pursue it. I mean, I think some of the other classes that I've taken in terms of improv and creative writing and um, any classes that I have taken helps, uh, they help me bring more specificity to my choices at the mic. And if an actor is interested in expanding their abilities, I don't see why they wouldn't pursue it. And also the lovely thing about voiceover is it's about the announcer's point of view and every single person has a very different life experience. Yes, we can put on different voices and characters and this and that, but everyone is unique enough to deserve a position in front of the microphone and deserves to be heard. And in the sense that everyone is unique, there is no competition whatsoever. There is no one who will process a piece of commercial copy like I will because I've had a very different life experience. It may not jive with the ad agency, uh, which is fine, but I think everyone deserves a chance to to give it a try. And also, um, I think in this day and age, they don't want polished actors. They want people who are sort of off the cuff and quirky and not an announcer. So it's all the more a time to go for it. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Vanessa, Vanessa, thank you so much for taking time. This has been just just a blast. It's been so great to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for being patient. I'm glad we finally worked it out and hopefully we'll circle back and catch up again soon. Absolutely. Definitely. All right, so that ends our interview with Vanessa Marshall. Up next, our interview with Taylor Gray. Going back to the beginning a little bit, I know you weren't a huge Star Wars fan before you got the role, so I have to ask what your first Star Wars experience was. My first Star Wars experience was actually 
I was young and I was at a friend's house, I believe, and episode four or I, yeah, it was episode four was on, um, and we were kind of hanging out. We had just like come in from playing basketball or something. And I remember seeing it and I was laughing because I, I forget what was on the screen, but I was like, what is that? That's insane. <laughs> and then I, uh, he's like, dude, it's Star Wars. And then of course I was like, oh, I've, I know it. I've heard of Star Wars. I just haven't seen it yet. So I went home and I told my mom and dad that night, I was like, Hey, I saw a little bit of stars, but I didn't understand it. And they're like, oh, we have to go get it. And I, we rented, I think it was uh, episode four, five, and six. And I saw all of those with them. And I was like, oh, I get, like this is awesome. This is so cool. And then I hadn't seen episodes one, two, and three before getting the show Rebels. So um, I think my parents are like, four, five, six are enough for right now. Like, that's <laughs> seven hours. Like, we'll take a little break. And then I don't think we ever got around to the first three. But, yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. I mean, you start before coming to Rebels. You were uh, the, one of the stars on a Nickelodeon show, and I think it's. But I think it's the safe to say that Rebels is pretty much the hot, the most high profile project you've had so far. Correct? Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah. Uh, no one knows you by your face, but by your voice. I mean, definitely, and the fact that it's Star Wars. Yeah. yeah Star Wars. Do, I mean, do you think that you were prepared for it, like for entering the Star Wars universe and the fandom and everything that came with it? Uh, I didn't know, like, cause like you said, doing that Nickelodeon show, they would fly me to wherever it was we were doing a press junket and it was like all the kids on Nickelodeon, they would kind of force down people's throats and, and, and throw <laughs> them out there. Um, so I was like, oh yeah, I can handle like media situations well. We were doing them every other week. And then this is just different because it's Star Everybody knows, cause not everybody watches Nickelodeon. Everybody knows Star Wars and is familiar with it. And it's, it's huge. And the fan base is bigger than any fan base in the world. So. Sure. I think I, I prematurely was like, yeah, of course I'll handle that well. And um, it's been so fun. And talking with fans has been the best part of all of it. And uh, I've enjoyed every single second. So when you're going into record, you don't have any costumes or makeup. So how do you get into character? I'm sorry, what was that? How um, into what? Um, how, how do you mentally prepare to get into character when you go into record since you're not in costumes or makeup or anything? Um, that, that is true. It's, it's nice. Not, it's actually nice not having to put on makeup and sit through that for an hour and, and wardrobe. Although it does help. Um, it's, it's cool because what happens on a show is at first, um, we would have to do certain things to drop into character. I, I would hold my lightsaber. Once I got a lightsaber, I'd hold a pen. That would be my lightsaber. Um, you would drop into it all. But now we're kind of, it's funny. It happens when you're on a show after a little while, you get conditioned where, Every time I look at Freddie now, I'm like, oh, there's my master. And I look <laughs> at uh, Aaron. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's a real thing where, and then we'll go have a cast dinner later, and we behave the way we do in a recording because it's that whole Pavlovian, like, you begin to expect a certain thing from this person. And uh, and it's, it's a cool thing about the business, and it, it happens on a movie. It, usually later on, like a month into shooting, you're like, oh, shoot, now I really see this person how I'm supposed to when I'm dropped into this character. So we go start over, but you're like, we've already shot 25 scenes, can't do that. Um, so, yeah, draw, going into the booth now, as soon as we're all in there together, I think everyone can pretty quickly drop in, and that's a pretty cool thing as opposed to when we first started. Yeah, you guys record together as a cast, which is not how every animated show works. And can you imagine? Told, yeah. Can you imagine doing it any other way? I can't, and and Steve and Vanessa, who have worked there, they have an incredible resume as far as um, voiceover animated shows. They they were the ones who told me they're like, yeah, we don't normally do it like this. Normally, we're on our own, and I, I, this is the first animated project that I've ever done, and I I can't believe it because I don't know what I would do. I'm so I rely so heavily on all the other actors, and and what they do in there is is amazing. They give so much in their performance that. Um, your job becomes so much easier when you when you put your focus on other people. That's how you listen and react, and how the acting works. So it'd be it'd be really tough if we weren't all together. I'd say. Yeah, right. I mean, I'm sure working together like that, there with the dynamic of everybody being in the same room, that there are probably a lot of unscripted moments that just sort of develop naturally from that. Have any of those unscripted moments made actually made it into the show? Oh. You're one of the first people to actually mention that, and you're hitting it right on the nose. Yeah, that happens all the time. Um, there are things where we're sitting in the booth, and um, excuse me, I'm driving the, the blinker real quick. <laughs> um, um, 
just being safe out here. Um, yeah, they uh, they'll ha- we'll be doing a scene, and it happens pretty often with buttons um, in a scene, which is basically like we've done the scene, and it's like hanging at the end of whatever the last word is, and someone will add something just very naturally, whatever the reaction is. And half the time, like, when you're dropped into your character, it's exactly what your character would say. And more often than not, it's very funny or clever. And it ends up in there. Or a natural reaction. Dave is so great. Dave Filoni, the director, creator, Star Wars extraordinaire, um, about letting us kind of breathe into the characters now. Um, And as the episodes have progressed, we have more naturally um, gone off on our own on little tangents here and there that, um, yeah, have made their way in. I'm trying to think of one specifically to give you guys. I know um, the guy who plays Hondo, Jim Cummings, he's amazing. Yeah. And half the things he says are literally, he says every line on the page, and then he adds so much more. And we've come to learn now, like, don't say your next line yet because he'll probably add something. And half the time, I think, it ends up in the show because he says some, uh, some very funny things. Yeah, he's amazing. I mean, talk about guys with an incredible career, too. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, um, Rebels was your first job doing uh, behind the mic for doing voiceover work. Was voiceover work something you th- you knew you wanted to try, or did you just kind of do it on a whim? Uh, I would like to say it was something that I'd been like looking to try, but honestly, my it was the first voiceover thing I'd ever even read for. My agent, who theatrically she gets me auditions and jobs, and we've been working together for a long time. Um, I'd just done a film, and uh, we were talking about like, what, what I wanted to read for everything, and she's like, oh, well, I just got this um, audition for, uh, it's an animated show, and it wasn't Star Wars at the time. It was like, I think they, they called it Wolf. And so I was thinking, like, oh, maybe it's like a show about the Jungle Book or something. Like, who knows? So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll read for it. She's like, yeah, it should be pretty cool. Um, Disney's doing it, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read for it. And I sent in a tape, and I didn't hear anything for like a month. <laughs> and that usually means they don't like you. Um, but I <laughs> they must have gotten a lot of submissions, or maybe the process is a little longer. I, I, I don't quite know. But after about a month, I got a call, and they were like, um, yeah, they want to meet you um, in the studio and have you like do a session with the director and producers. So I went in and did that. And me being me, still had no idea it was Star Wars. So <laughs> went in and I was like, I was an hour late. I remember, and I was really nervous because I'd never done a, a voiceover audition, and like I'd only done act like auditions where it's like a camera and everything. So I was like, I don't know what to do. I called my agent. I was like, I'm not gonna go in. And they're like, No, you have to like just go in. Like they they wanted me to just do it. And I was like, All right, fine. So walked in, and it ended up being the most amazing thing. And I realized, Oh, this is literally just acting without the camera. Like it's the same, <laughs> same principles I know. Um, it's performance, everything. And I found it to be even a little more difficult because when I, you're acting in front of a camera, you have so many tools as far as your body. You, you can just a facial expression says a million words or, or an action or movement. Those all help um, your acting. But when you're behind a mic, you have to channel all of those emotions that you're doing in real life through just your voice. And that learning how to, how to, um, I don't know, hone in on that uh, idea has been tremendous for my acting across the board and just acting in general. So it's been it's been so fun to learn. It's been fun to learn from great people like Dave and, and, and Steve and Vanessa and Freddie and T and everyone who's on the cast. Yeah. When you watch an episode or a clip or anything, do you see the characters or do you see the actors? That's a funny thing. I... I um, I've heard, like, Vanessa, she says when she watches it right away, like, when she saw the first episode, she's like, oh, I see all of us. And at first, I was like, I can't see past the green. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And now, now that she says it and seeing it, it's funny. I would almost go with the inverse in the sense that when we are in the booth, I can see, I can see Hera when Vanessa is, is, is saying lines. You know what I mean? So yeah. when, when she's saying a line and I'm looking over at her knowing that I'm about to respond, Rather than just completely see Vanessa, I see Hera speaking to me. And then um, I, I kind of sit into Ezra even more because I, I am on the go with them and, uh, and reacting. So, yeah, it's very cool. And I do. I, I understand now um, how in the show you can see us yeah. um, in the characters. Have you gotten to a point where it's hard to know where Taylor stops and Ezra begins? I think that's the case with almost every character. I, I would say that any character I've played in 
whether it was just like a, I mean, maybe like when I've done like a guest star on a show where I was just there for a week doing character, it, not as much, but when you live with a character for a couple weeks, um, yeah, there's blurred lines. And I think that's why I, I, I truly believe people who get certain jobs, it's because you really are a lot like that job, so, that character. So basically every, for every character comes from a human place and you turn on the switches in you that are turned on in this character, I think. So with Ezra and Taylor, it, it, it's a blurred line because it's it, parts of them are, are in both of you. Parts of you are, see, look at, I'm blurring it right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like parts of you are alive in both you and Ezra yeah. or, or Freddie and Kanan. So to, to own that as one person's or oneself uh, characteristic would be a little questionable, I guess. Sure. If you if you were allowed into the writers' room, um, where would you take Ezra? It's like how how would you, how do you hope that he's going to develop even further as a character? I love these questions. Uh, I I this is a question I would love to go off on. Um, I <laughs> have had this discussion with Dave um, so many times, um, and we've seen that Ezra has been exposed now to the to to parts of the dark side, and that. There is strength in the dark side and the instant gratification of if I get very mad, I am powerful in that moment. Overall, it, it does not behoove you. It is it, detrimental to a person and, and it, it can lead to very bad things and feeding the ego. But I was telling Dave, I said, Ezra, what if he is able to almost harness the dark side as well and hone in on that? And who's to say that he can't be a Jedi who is good in nature and balanced? but can tap into the dark parts of the dark side at will and use that as an advantage in the sense of being like in empathizing with like inquisitors and whatnot and seeing how they think as well. So I would, I would take Ezra down a path that went a little bit darker while maintaining like he is a good Jedi and has, has good leadership through Kanan and, 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 or guidance through Kanan. Um, but can learns how to also, within the dark side so rebels is very much a show about the connections between people and how those connections and sorry excuse me and how each of those connections is critically important in its own way is there one relationship that speaks to you in the show more than others um with you're saying with the relation between human and and like creature well just i mean there's i mean the show, I think, is founded on all these different relationships that exist. So we've got master and student. We've got old friend, new friend. We've, you know, we've got um, yeah. friends and lovers. And so it's everybody is connected in a different way. And I'm just wondering if there's one that speaks to you, Taylor, rather than Ezra, uh, yeah. more than others. Yes, um, I would say um, I would say the master, the master and teacher thing, because of how that has been in my life um, as an actor being young. I, I go to a lot of classes. I, I want to learn how to perfect the craft of acting and, and how to be present and express and listen and, and all of it that goes into, into the craft of that. And, um, and as being young and being a student just in school, like you were taught many things from people and certain people you actually connected with and you, you understood what they were saying. And then you began to take those ideas and run with them and, and, and hear them in variations and create new ideas off them. And in, in a way, you're not quite teaching the, the master things, but you're showing them new ways um, from what they have taught you. And, and that happens in Star Wars. We're seeing with Ezra and Kanan, where Kanan teaches Ezra things. And then in turn, Ezra sees them through his lens and, and, Kanan's like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that there was that way to look at this situation. Yeah. So um, for me, Taylor, that that probably. Awesome. I, I have to ask, will the show cross over with Rogue One at all? That and <laughs> I know for sure they will have my head. <laughs> well, I don't want you to lose your job, so you could just say no comment. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be cool? Yep. Uh, that's all I can <laughs> fair enough fair enough how cool is it to have your own action figure i need to know 
That is so cool. And and the tops card as well. They go they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I always wanted to be a uh, professional athlete, a, a professional baseball player. When I was like six, and then when I was seven, went to basketball, probably to football at one point. And then when I realized um, I was not going to be six four and uh, quite as athletic as I hoped, I I realized I would have to kind of put that dream to the side and, and it would never happen. And part of that dream was having my own um, baseball card because I always collected baseball cards when I was younger. And when the tops thing came about and we got our own um, tops card, our own like baseball trading cards, which tops made all the cards when I was younger, I showed my dad and I was like, look, look how cool that is. And he's like, yeah, not quite a baseball card, but he's like, I'll give it to you. That's pretty awesome. So <laughs> my dad, well, my mom and dad, they have, um, like the action figure in their in their office at work, and it's pretty cool. I have I have enough of them at my apartment because every time there was like a new variation of it or the new lightsaber, I would I would have that. So I have a closet at my place with just <laughs> weapons of from Star Wars, and it's pretty awesome. And it, it's cool to see. I mean, it's it's a really fun thing, and it's cool to think that kids are getting the same satisfaction and, and entertainment out of that that I did when I was younger with um, whether it was my GI Joes or my baseball cards. Yeah, have you seen have you seen kids out in the real world playing with you, like playing with Ezra? I, I thought I never would. I thought it would be one of those things where like I would only see it when I when someone like it was at a store or something. But actually, I have. There was a kid who had um, a, an Ezra lightsaber, and and he was playing with it, and I and I had no idea that I did anything to rebels or whatnot. I was just another guy at the park, but um, it was so cool to see that and think like, oh, I, I have some little part to do with that. So that, yeah. that was always that, that a cool, it's like full circle because I was that same kid when I was younger with whatever toy it might've been or action figure. So it's, uh, it's really cool to see it all like uh, come back around. So uh, aside from Ezra in the show, do you have any other favorite characters on rebels? Um, yeah, no, I mean, definitely. I, I don't even know if Ezra, who would be my favorite? Hondo is a really, he's a cool, cool character. I also like all of the villains. I like uh, the first Inquisitor that Jason Isaacs played, I thought was, I thought he was really cool. And then the Rebels crew, like, it's, I would have a hard time if I had no part in Rebels and, and picking a favorite, just because they're such dynamic characters and they kind of, they cover everything. I mean, Chopper, even Chopper, he, 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 uh, certain episodes, I'm like, yeah, that's my favorite dude. He's the funniest thing in the show. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick, uh, like a one, one off favorite, but I don't know. Maybe I'll take Chopper. Chopper's pretty sick. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I know, I know you have to go. We've taken a lot of your time, but before you go, favorite Jedi in all of Star Wars. Favorite, ooh, well, adding the Jedi, because it, Favorite character in all of Star Wars is definitely um, Han Solo. By by and large, is I I I think he's the, one of the coolest characters ever in cinema. Coolest Jedi. Um, wow, it's hard to go against Luke. I mean, four, five, and six are I love that. And I saw seven. Ray Ray could become a new favorite Jedi. She's she's really really cool. Um, I don't know. Han Solo is my favorite. I gotta think on the Jedi. I guess. Fair enough. Taylor, thank you so much for taking the time today. This has been absolutely fantastic. Awesome. You guys are great. Awesome questions. And thank you so much. I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of the show. It's great talking to you. Thank you. Thank and congratulations you. on everything. All right, that's it for this week on the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. As always, I just want to thank everybody for hitting that download button, hitting subscribe. And I got to say, last week's show with Jason Ritter, we, we saw that. As always, like as always, we have had another Gravity Falls one, and we saw them both just expl explode out of the gate with people excited about it, and you know, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is, and you know, it's it's great. We say this a lot, but it's great to see not only listeners tweet about the show or tweet to us and say, "Hey, listen to the recent episode; it was fantastic." But when mm -hmm. you let the guests know that you heard them on the show and that you really enjoyed the conversation, uh, that means a lot. It means a lot. Right. I don't know if it means a lot to them. I can't speak for them, but it means a lot to Justin and me. It does. And I think, I don't know if this is our second ever time doing this, but 
I'm going to start a new segment. It's going to be fan shout out. We should get music for it. And I just want to thank Nick, Nick Olson. I hope I said your name right for tweeting to Rob Paulson about the interview that we had. That's fantastic that you did that, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. You are the man. (laughs) I like your Disney ears. I'm looking at your profile right now. I like your Disney ears. (laughs) We're going to be creepy. Are we going to be creepy? All right. So if, so guys, thank you so much for tweeting. Let us know. We want to talk to you. Communicate is key. And we, I've actually had, Hey, Justin. Yeah. How can they communicate with us if they want to? Twitter and Facebook, obviously. And (laughs) at the GBB podcast for both. And uh, we also have a phone number. We do. Uh, you can call and leave a voicemail. We've gotten one. We have. <laughs> my my good friend Jeff Bogle called. Yeah, and, and I do we'll, have to play gonna, that. We'll have to play that on on another episode. Um, but uh, you know, I guess phone like you know like f- who has phones anymore? Everybody, right. everybody has phones, <laughs> but nobody uses them as phones. So if you actually want to open up the keypad on your phone and right. put some numbers and, and leave us a voicemail, right? Give us a call 301-825-56. Five, three. And our little intros at the start of every episode, it doesn't have to be Will Wheaton or Jonathan Frakes. It can be you. It could call, be call you. Call us and you can open the show. You know what? Let's open with Bogle. Okay, we will. We're going to open with our voicemail. We're going to open with the Because that's how excited we are <laughs> that we got a voicemail. <laughs> that's perfect. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great week. Take care. <laughs> that's perfect. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.